You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. If you are new here, I want to just take a moment to welcome you. My name is Brad, and uh, I get to serve as the pastor here. And we are in week three of a series called Gospel, Good News for Who? And today, what we are talking about is gospel, good news for broken bodies. And uh, today's going to look just a little bit different than a normal Sunday would look. So if you are new here today, know that today is kind of an exception to what uh, might be normal. Um, So what's going to happen today is I'm going to spend a few minutes, um, and I say a few minutes, preaching (laughs) and teaching through some scripture here. And then uh, for the second half of the sermon, I'm going to invite my wife up, and we're going to share our story of brokenness and healing in our marriage. And uh, so I want to begin here this morning, and I want you to to picture this with me for a moment. There is a farmer and his wife sitting on their front porch, and it's a warm June day. They had just finished dinner. They just finished eating, empty dinner plates next to them, cup, cup of coffee in hand, and they are looking out across their wheat fields as the sun is setting. Harvest is just around the corner. They're getting ready for the season of harvest. And and the wife turns to her husband. She turns to the farmer, and she says, you know, everything on this farm says the same thing. Everything on this farm says brokenness can produce life. Brokenness can produce life. The seed breaks to give us the wheat, the soil breaks to give us the crop. Let's be honest, the cow breaks wind to give us the soil, right? The sky breaks to give us the rain, the wheat breaks to give us the bread, and the bread breaks to give us the feast. Everything on this farm is saying that brokenness can produce life. And yet... Every single one of us, we carry brokenness in our bodies that seems to do just the opposite of produce life. We carry brokenness in our bodies that seems like it far more often than produce life actually steals life. From cancer to anxiety, aneurysms and broken bones, broken minds, from dysphoria and dysmorphia eating disorders and abuse, infertility and infection, the brokenness in our bodies does not seem to produce life. It seems far more often to steal life. And none of us are exempt from broken bodies. Not a single person sitting in this room is exempt from having a broken body or a body that is affected, infected by the brokenness of the world around us. Last I checked, none of us get out of here alive, Right? Like some of you have had years and decades of your life stolen from you because of a broken body. I know some of your stories. Some of you have buried your own children or your own spouses. I've spoken to you on the phone 
from a hospital room that I couldn't go visit because of COVID as, as wives clung to the body of their husband they had just lost. Like others of us live in the tension of a disease that we will never experience physical hearing, healing for on this side of heaven. And the question I want to ask us today is what if God actually wants to redeem our broken bodies, our broken stories, our broken minds to produce life? Do you believe that he can do that? Are we even open to let him? See, I believe that he can and he does redeem broken bodies, broken stories, broken marriages for the sake of his glory. And I want to show you exactly how he does that this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in the very, very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to begin and what I want to do is we kind of paint the picture of how God does this, is we're going to start with how God intended things to be, how God created things to be. And so Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. See, there's one thing that sets the biblical story apart of the origins of the earth from every other story that was written about the origins of the planet. And the thing that sets the biblical narrative apart is this idea that God created a blessed creation, that he created not out of war or conflict, but out of self-giving love. The Trinity, God, three in one, creating out of self-giving love, created this this creation that he called good, very good, blessed. It says it right here in the text. It said God blessed them, men and women, male and female. In fact, this is the divine order of God's creation, that he blessed his creation, and then he said you are given for the sake of the world, right? He blessed them, and then he said go into the world, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, steward, like take control of this thing. Be my hands and feet in this world, blessed and given, blessed and given. And you don't see this rhythm stop here. Like nearly every single time God in the scriptures blesses someone or blesses a couple, the next step is they are given, they are offered for the sake of others. Think about the story of Abram. Right, God says, you are blessed, and through you, you will be a blessing to the entire world. Blessed and given. This is his design for marriage, right? He blessed the marriage covenant, and then two people are given in marriage to one another. Blessed and given. This is God's divine order. There's just one problem. Something has wedged itself in between blessed and given. Something has set itself between these two realities, blessed and given. And we see this happen in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve, they forsake the order of blessed and given, and they take for themselves what God said was not theirs to take. And, and watch what happens here in verse 16 of chapter 3. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. 
In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. See that wedge there? And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Something has wedged itself between the realities of blessed and given. And it's this reality right here. Broken. Broken has wedged itself between the realities of blessed and given. And the reality of broken is the reality of sin in every single one of our lives. Some people say, why not just use the word sin? I actually think the word broken gets at this just as well because too often we think of sin as just like these individual bad moral choices that we make. And that is a component of sin. But sin is so much larger than that. Sin is the breaking of every single relationship that God called blessed, that God called good. It is the breaking of our relationship with our own bodies. Right? Disease and decay taking over. It is the breaking of the relationship between people, between men and women and husbands and wives. It is the breaking. It is the breaking between our relationship to creation. It is the breaking. Sin is communal. It is individual. It is generational. It is the water that flows and seeps into every crack of our fractured existence. That's sin. There are no bodies not broken by sin. Not a single And what the enemy of your soul wants to convince you of is that your brand of brokenness is unique to you. You're the only one. You're all alone. You are more broken than the people that sit around you. Shame is when our brokenness becomes our identity. That's a lie. You are not alone in your brokenness. You are not alone in the broken body that you inhabit. In fact, every single one of us, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your background looks like or what your story is, you experience body brokenness in all three of these ways right here. The first way that we experience body brokenness is we are broken by our own frailty. Our bodies are literally coming apart at the seams. This is the reality of aging and disease and, and death and decay, and all of us know this reality. I, I have a grandma that has... Alzheimer's right now, and we're watching this play out in her story. I know guys in our church who, who are aging, and, and for them, it's not just a physical brokenness, but there's a deep spiritual brokenness because God isn't using them the same way he used to, or they can't do the things that they used to do, and so we are broken by our own frailty. And scripture speaks to this. It says, outwardly, we are wasting away. We are broken by our own frailty. The second way that every single one of us is broken is we are broken by our own failure. All of us have made decisions with our body that have contributed to the messes in our lives. I'm not going to take a poll here because that would be fun, but just out of curiosity, like just think to yourself, how many of us have at least one regret over something that we've done with our body? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the raised hands would be nearly 100%. All of us experience failure in our bodies, whether that looks like drinking too much, going to substances to satisfy, 
pride, sexual sin, self-harm. And guilt happens as a result of our own failure. And guilt is not a bad thing. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I've done something bad. Guilt is what God wants us to feel. It's the stuff of conviction. It's the stuff of agitation in us that something is not right. We are broken by our own failures. And then the third way that we are broken is we are broken by the fallenness of the world. Every single one of us. It is impossible to let what happens out there not get into here with the world that we live in. And this can look like some of us who are brokenhearted. That some of us deal with a mind-body disconnect, whether it's dysphoria or eating disorders or depression, and we tend to internalize the fallenness of the world as our own identity, right? This is the place where shame is birthed out of. It's when what happens out there creeps its way into here, and none of us are exempt from that. And for some of us, the fallenness of the world has caused us to despise our own bodies in a really, really damaging way. Harm ourselves. We don't take care of ourselves. We hate ourselves, and this can happen when we've been emotionally, physically, sexually mistreated by others. We begin to believe that our body is gross, and the result is we mistreat ourselves. When I think of body brokenness being the result of fallenness in the world, I think of the guy in John 9, this blind guy who Jesus and his disciples interact with. And, and as Jesus and his disciples are talking to this blind guy and about this blind guy, the, the disciples, they ask Jesus, they say, what did this man do to cause this blindness in him? Like, who sinned, him or his parents? They want to point to number two. It must have been failure. What does Jesus say about this blind guy? No. It wasn't his sin or his failure. The brokenness in his body is designed that it may produce life that it may show the glory of God to him and others. The reality is, every single one of us, we live with broken bodies. The common thread is sin. And it doesn't matter if it's sin we've perpetuated, sin we've committed against us, collateral damage of a sinful world, all of us live with this brokenness. So how can I possibly say that brokenness can produce life after all of that? <laughs> how can I possibly say that? Because there is a man who came and used his broken body to heal our broken stories. In fact, in Luke 22, Jesus enters into this divine rhythm of God's rhythm of blessed, broken, given, blessed, broken, given. And he institutes this thing called communion or, or the Lord's Supper. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 22 Verse 14 through 16. It says this, and, and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jumping to verse 19 here. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do you see it? Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He blessed it. And then it was broken. 
and he gave it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. I've always wondered what Jesus had in mind when he was having this conversation with his disciples. I've always wondered who he had in mind when he was having this conversation with his disciples, this blessed, broken, given conversation. Like, was he thinking of the synagogue leader named Jairus, whose daughter's broken body had failed her, and he went with Jairus and raised her from the dead because his broken body heals broken stories? Was he thinking of the woman who had been bleeding and hemorrhaging for 12 years who just simply touched the edge of his cloak to experience healing because his broken body heals broken stories? Was he thinking of the lame men or the blind men who were healed, who received sight, who were able to walk because his broken body heals broken stories? Was he thinking of the ten lepers whose broken bodies, the disease they carry, gave them a death sentence because his broken body heals broken stories? Was he thinking of the sexually broken people, like the woman caught in adultery ready to be stoned by the religious people around her? Or the woman sitting in shame alone at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman on her sixth partner? who Jesus did a healing and redeeming work in because his broken body heals broken stories. Was he thinking of the broken bodies of the spiritually oppressed, the demon-possessed, because his broken body can heal broken stories? And here's one of the things that I'm struck by is every single person that Jesus healed, without exception, had a broken body that eventually failed them, didn't it? Like, we don't have a raised-from-the-dead guy named Lazarus running around that's 2,000 years old here today. Like, all of these people had bodies that eventually failed them. And what I think Jesus was doing in these healings, in these physical healings, was he was pointing to the greater healing that he was after, the spiritual healing, the healing that happens through his broken body. Like as Jesus is breaking this bread piece by piece, he is reminding us that his broken body brings two things. It brings the forgiveness of our sins and the healing of sin's effects on our lives. In fact, if you were to summarize Jesus' ministry into two words, forgiveness and healing are great words that the Gospels use all the time to describe his ministry. Forgiveness and healing Forgiveness and healing. Isaiah 53 says that it's by Jesus' wounds, by his broken body, that we find our healing. His broken body heals our broken bodies, our broken stories, our broken minds, our broken relationships. Healing is a marker of Jesus' presence and his glory. I think of the passage from Revelation that talks about where this story is headed. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Friends, healing is not a passive reality. It is an active confrontation of the work of the enemy. When Jesus heals through his broken body given for you and for me, he is declaring war against the powers and the effects of sin itself on your life. So how can God possibly use my brokenness to produce life? I love how author Henry Nouwen says this. He says it this way. He says, Jesus is God's wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. 
And as followers of Jesus, we can also allow our brokenness to bring healing to others. Blessed, broken, given. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to invite my wife, Sam, up to the stage here. Can everybody say hi, Sam? Hi, Sam. <laughs> and uh, here's, what, here's what I want to do. Um, we're going to just share our story as I trip on the rug here. We're going to share our story of just how God has done this in our life, in our marriage. And uh, I'll be honest. Well, first of all, hi. Yeah, hi. I love you. <laughs> I always thought it was weird when people would get up and say, I'm really nervous about sharing my testimony. And now I'm eating my words because I think we are really nervous about sharing our testimony. Uh, but we know this is family here. And uh, God actually uses our brokenness to bring healing to other people. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. And we wrote our story out because there are so many details of God's provision and his presence along the way in our very broken marriage story that we want you guys to hear, that we want to invite you into, that we want to break open for the sake of God being able to be glorified and bring healing to others. Okay? One of the lies uh, that the enemy has planted in my mind, starting at the age of six, is that I'm not just broken, I am uniquely broken. Like beyond redeeming broken. I grew up in a great Christian home, great parents, great church, great Christian school. I won like the Christian Character Award every year in school, which is basically like the Teacher's Pet Award. Okay, let's just be honest. Uh, I was in Awana. Any other, like, ex-Awana-ers in here? Yeah, we're, we can go to therapy later about those red vests. Um, <laughs> but, like I, like, I went through all the ranks of Awana, won the Timothy Award, which is, like, basically the biggest nerd award for learning all the verses and everything. Like, but there was something about me that loved studying the Bible. I loved Jesus a lot. I remember studying and learning the Bible through elementary school and into high school. It was something I was really good at. I loved it. There's just something that clicked about it. I knew how to play and look the Christian part really, really well. But below the surface, I was drowning in shame. I was hurting and deeply broken, uniquely broken. You see, since the age of six, I've wrestled with a same-sex attraction. I never knew where it came from or how it got there. There was no abuse, no childhood trauma I could easily point back to. It wasn't even really something our culture was talking about at the time. This was the early 90s, keep in mind. There wasn't exactly a pride section at Target in June. And six-year-olds don't exactly have an agenda. There was no peer influence or anything like that. I went to a Christian school. I was immersed in Christian culture through and through and through. It was just there. Like what felt like a terminal cancer that just brewed beneath the surface. I think of, again, the question the disciples asked Jesus in John 9. Who must have sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. Like that's the stuff I wrestled with. But the enemy constantly in my mind, you are not just broken, you are uniquely broken. If anyone in your family or your church or your school found out what Christian character award-winning Brad actually dealt with under the surface, nobody would love you. 
your brand of brokenness would be met with unconditional rejection. And this fear was paralyzing. And to add insult to injury, simultaneously, a massive culture war is brewing around LGBT stuff. Attitudes are shifting, and I'm regularly like literally feeling my body ripped in different directions. On one hand, the culture is starting to say things, and then on the other, like people in my church are starting to say increasingly hurtful things. I spent years as a teenager where my mind and body felt like a battleground, where it was just being ripped in different directions. People in my church and Christian school bullied me in locker rooms and on retreats. You guys might find this really hard to believe, but I used to be a really scrawny kid. I know my muscular physique now doesn't suggest that. <laughs> but I was, I mean, I was called faggot and all of the slurs that you can imagine in locker rooms and all over the place. And, and that's like hard enough as it is, but to deal with some of the, the stuff underneath the surface that you're navigating that you actually can't tell anybody about, I mean, that's crippling. And then on the other hand, you have a, a group of people, a culture that is saying, don't hide your brokenness. Bring it out into the light. Remember, brokenness that becomes identity creates shame in us. And so cover your shame with pride, right? That's the message of the culture. Cover your shame with pride. So in the midst of the battleground living in me, I just buried it. I never, I never talked about it with anyone. Never talked about my struggle with same-sex attraction my broken body, but at the same time, I began taking this on as a primary identity in my life. For 30 years of my life, I carried the lie that nobody, if anybody knew my unique brand of brokenness, I would be ushered out of the doors of the church and invited to never step foot in again. The gospel was good news for others, but it was not good news for this broken body. So as a result, under the surface brewed things like anger and shame and so much resentment and so much rage and so much excruciating loneliness. I was determined nobody would ever know. So like a good Christian boy, I eventually met and got married to this amazing, amazing woman. Not even she knew. I thought marriage would fix my broken body. But instead, we just dealt with a lot of issues with intimacy and tension and conflict. And that will happen when brokenness is worn as identity. So my love language is naturally physical touch. I thrive on human connection. And if any of y'all know me, you know this. Like, I'm a hugger <laughs> through and through. I'm coming in for that hug. Um, but because I saved parts of myself for my husband, I think I went into marriage pretty naively expectant. I think that was probably one of the lies that I was fed about church purity culture and romance and Disney movies, that marriage could fix all of my body shame, all of the messages I was handed about my own broken body. Brad dealt with a lot of anger early on in our marriage. When he would avoid intimacy, I took that rejection really, really personally. I mean, really, what spouse wouldn't? It only fed my own insecurities about my own body. We threw that divorce word around a lot in those early years of our marriage. Our interactions were short-fused, and sarcasm was another mask that we used to hurt each other, and y'all are like, wait. Yeah, we still use sarcasm, but we use it now more as a love language than a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I 
you know, we may have had that marriage certificate that you sign on your wedding day, but to us at the time, it really kind of just felt like a piece of paper. It didn't feel like there was a covenant between us. For years, I begged Brad. I begged him to see a mental health specialist or a doctor or a counselor or somebody that could get to the heart of the issues that he was dealing with. All the while, though, I had no idea what that was going to uncover. One day when I was 30 years old, about five years into our marriage, my depression had gotten incredibly severe. The weight of my brokenness and shame was too much to carry. So I began making a plan to end my own life. It was almost five years ago to this day that I found myself in a doctor's office dangerously close to suicide because I couldn't bear the weight of the shame anymore. I couldn't carry it. I'd grown up in church my whole life, but the good news of Jesus wasn't for this broken body. I also went to see a Christian counselor for the first time. And ironically, this Christian counselor happened to be the men's pastor at my parents' church, which was like a really awkward dynamic I didn't know about ahead of time. But for the first time ever in 30 years, it was in a counselor's office where I spoke the words out loud that I had never spoken to anyone before. I was bracing for impact. I was bracing for unqualified rejection, bracing for the rocks to be thrown. I said out loud, I struggle with same-sex attraction, and nobody knows my story. In that moment, that Christian counselor was Jesus to me in more ways than I can explain. Yeah, I thought in the sharing of this that the church would automatically take the posture of Pharisee with all of the rocks standing around the sexually broken person, ready to hurl them and ready to throw them. And instead, this counselor took the posture of Jesus who got down next to the sexually broken person and said, does anybody around here like he who is without sin can throw the first stone. And one by one, these Pharisees, they walk away because nobody has two feet to stand on when it comes to not having a broken body before Jesus, to not having brokenness in their story before Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He gets down to this woman's level and he says, does nobody here condemn you? Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. But he meets her in her brokenness. And he invites her to a life of redemption, restoration, and set-apartness. See, I assumed my entire life that the church was standing around me holding rocks, but something small in me shifted that day when I began to realize that maybe there were Christians who were more interested in taking the posture of Jesus than the posture of the Pharisees. See, I knew after that day, though, I would need to go home and have one of the single hardest conversations I've ever had in my life, bar none. So five years ago, I sat my wife down and I told her for the first time. Eighteen percent. Eighteen percent of marriages like ours survive. I will never forget the gut punch of that moment sitting at our table being told this. It felt like all the years of intimacy issues and distance and struggle in our marriage made sense, but it didn't hurt any less. It hurt like hell. 
I remember Googling endlessly other people's story, just looking for somebody else that might be dealing with the same thing. But they all seem to have one thing in common, an ending in divorce or a split family. This was the story of worship pastors who'd walked through it, business people, the story of creatives and all sorts of people in Christian circles. Hopeless and broken are two words that I feel perfectly describe those first few weeks. I woke up every day with this like physical weight in my gut. I felt shock and sadness and numbness. I was truly grieving over what I thought my marriage was always going to be. It took everything in me to put my two feet on the floor every morning to be the best mom I could to my kids. But I was mad. I felt alone and isolated. <laughs> Sorry. could I tell anyone who would listen, who would understand? Would most people just tell Brad that it was all in his head, that he should just quickly get over a 30-year battle that he's never talked about? So one thing that we decided to do early on was just to start telling people close to us. We really didn't know what else to do with our pain. So no more hiding. We took what felt like our lives shattered into a million little pieces were, and we just started to talk about it. We would agree on the people that we thought felt safe to us at the time in those very early fractured days and people who maybe didn't feel safe. But here's the thing, guys. Shame cannot survive being spoken. It just can't. So piece by piece, God slowly began to heal, and he used people in our church at the time to do it. an amazing, amazing woman right here. And um, I'll never forget one of the moments in those early days when I was with Sam and I referred to this as my story. And she stopped me and she said, no, this is, this is our story. This is God's story. Sam's ability To forgive healed my shame in more ways than you'll ever know. This forgiveness was not a one-day thing. It was a process of two steps forward, five steps backwards. It was a journey. It has been a journey. But I don't think she would have ever been able to forgive me if the Holy Spirit wasn't living in her so we told close friends. We didn't tell family right away. We told counselors. We got into marriage counseling pretty quickly. Another one of the hardest conversations I knew I needed to have was with my pastor, Brian Bloom. And many of you know him. He's the lead pastor of the Zero Collective. He was the pastor at Frontline at the time. And I was working there as a youth pastor at the time. And... Uh, I'll never forget the moment of like just shaking and going up to his office, like having to tell my pastor and my boss, what a weird dynamic. I feel like that's the theme of the story is weird dynamics. And as weird as it was for me, I can only imagine how weird it was for him. And so I told him, ready to be fired, ready to be ushered out of there, invited to never return to the church. Let's be really honest. 
The church has not always been a place where broken people are allowed to be broken, especially not with the brand of brokenness I carry. So I was ready to be fired. But none of that happened with tears in his eyes. Simply said, I love you. I'm with you. And so is Jesus. And he wants you to know he sees you. He always has. And he's closer than you know. We talked through next steps. He told me that nothing about our story disqualified me from pastoral ministry. Merely having a struggle with a temptation wasn't the same as infidelity or giving into or acting on it. But even if that had been part of our story, redemption and restoration were still possible. Brian Bloom became one of the single most active parts of our healing as a couple. He became the hands and feet of Jesus for both my wife and I when we needed it the most. So piece by piece and little by little, God did begin to heal our marriage. He began to draw Brad and I closer together, whispering, if you can just imagine, I caught you. Let me heal your brokenness because I'm the only one who can. We just sang that, church. He's the only one. So countless moments of grace and his mercy and his favor were reminding us that we weren't alone. And people like our friends Matt and Megan were really willing to sit in the stuff with us. All right, we're going to name it for what it is. There was one night when we just went over to their house and we just screamed at each other in front of them. They were literally the most awesome referees for us in the middle of this season. I've never seen God fight for me and for us as clearly as I did in that season of our lives. One of the most powerful moments for me was when I was with um, a group of church leaders and other pastors at a Christian conference all about the church and loving LGBT people LGBT people well while staying faithful to the truth of scripture. And uh, that's one thing you need to hear. I have wrestled over the scriptures with this. Like if there is anybody who has done very real wrestling over the scriptures with this, it's, it's me. And I am absolutely convinced that, that God's good design as we, as we just read about it is a covenanted man and woman for, for life with him in marriage. That doesn't mean we don't bring our, our brokenness, our sexual brokenness, to our relationships and to our marriages. It doesn't mean it doesn't impact things like our marriages or our singleness. One of my pet peeves is when I hear Christians say, we need to love people well, but we also need to be faithful to the truth of Scripture. No, we love people uniquely well because we are faithful to the truth of Scripture. So I was at this conference, and I happened to know one of the speakers really, really well. I didn't know he was going to be there. I didn't know anything about like, his more recent story. And he got up there, and here I am, still in the early days of, of hurting and wondering, where is God in all of this? And, and he's starting the healing journey, but I really need his presence with me. And I'm not joking. This speaker got up there, who I knew, who I had gone to high school with and the same church with. He got up there, and he shared his story. And I'm not kidding. To the month, to the exact timeline, it was the identical story to mine and Sam's. Same church, same school, same everything. And the craziest part of all of that is I'll give you one guess what his name was. Brad. And they closed his section 
And they said, we have to imagine there are other Brads out there in this room right now. <laughs> Isn't that just insane how God can move and how he can work? Like, are you kidding me? Like, the, the lie that I told myself my whole life is that I'm not just broken, but I'm broken beyond what, what, what is res- restorable, that I'm broken uniquely and alone and, and just in loneliness. And what God did is he began to show me, you're actually not alone in this. Like, you may be broken, Brad, but you're not beyond broken of what my broken body can restore. And piece by piece, we experienced restoration in our marriage. He continued bringing people into our lives that were part of our healing journey. Another one is Kyle Kotrich. Many of you guys know Kyle really well. He's the pastor up at our sister church, The Story. He used to be the youth pastor here at New Life. We serve together. We meet together every Tuesday morning in the teaching team. And Kyle gave me permission to share this. But one of the parts of his story is that his dad also had same-sex attraction and ended up bailing on their family, walking away. And as a result, his family navigated things like homelessness and just awful hardship and strife. And so God putting a brother like Kyle in my life was literally him saying, don't take your eyes off your kids in the midst of this, Brad. Keep your eyes on your kids and how this story is going to impact them. Just another peace of God restoring our story. This is where it gets real good, y'all. God started drawing us together in intimacy. It was weird and uncommon and unconventional, but we started laughing together. Like we were having tons of fun together. If you can remember that pit in my stomach, it was just like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. We were we did a year of dates Brad gave me for Christmas following this really hard season, a year of dates where he would have pre-planned an extravagant date that we would go out on for um, every month. And I think probably one of my favorites was he took me on a sailboat in Saugatuck. I think mine was an improv show we went to where we just laughed in a way that we had not laughed in years. A laughter for our story was so healing. So we did. We started experiencing intimacy, the kind that I had longed for but it came from a different place. I knew that there were parts of my husband that I would never be able to fully satisfy and I would never, um, and that he would never be able to fully satisfy me. And I think it's safe to say there's something both broken and beautiful about that realization. The most transformative thing that we experienced in our marriage happened when we implemented taking our brokenness to the cross as a daily discipline exchanging selfishness with sacrifice and trusting that God's will was better than ours. I started believing that Brad was sacrificing more to stay in this marriage. And then he started believing the same thing that I, or that, let me say that again. I started believing that Brad was sacrificing more to stay in this marriage. And then he started believing the same thing about me that I was actually sacrificing more. There's something unique and strange and beautiful about the realization that brought us together. And this is how I realized it wasn't just a story of sacrificial love. Um, It wasn't just his story. It was ours. It was actually God's story of sacrificial love. We learned how to stand together as husband and wife for the first time, broken, but here's the key, without shame. This quote from author Ann Voskamp buried itself deep within me during that season, and it says this, 
your naked body deserves the honor of being shared only with someone who has covenanted to never stop loving your naked soul. And there is something powerfully healing that can happen when two broken bodies come to Jesus. I cannot begin to explain all the ways that God was fighting for our marriage and for our family. And so what God began to do again in me is he gave me a genuine desire for my wife. It is a genuine desire and longing for my wife. People often ask me, like, do you desire women now? Like, do you pray it all away or whatever it might be? And I'll say this. If God's desire for me was to simply start desiring women, then one temptation would shift to another. His, what he's done in me is given me a desire to the one I am covenanted to. That's what he's done. And that's more beautiful. Here's the craziest part of our healing. For the last several years, God has not just used our story for us. He's actually brought people into our lives over and over again who share the same story, who share similar stories. People and stories in this church, like you have to know that. There are stories in this church that are not just ours, that are like ours. And God just keeps bringing them to us. He keeps allowing us to speak into them, keeps allowing us to walk with people in them. Stories of students wrestling with this stuff. I have deep concerns with the way students are wrestling through this topic right now. And, uh, and I actually believe we as a church can play a unique role in healing and in calling people to righteousness and restoration through the power of Jesus. So you guys, there's something powerful when we bring our brokenness to other people and, and they can say the statement, you too, I thought I was the only one. There's something healing in that. And so to those of you struggling with any kind of brokenness in your life right now, any kind of body brokenness, my encouragement to you is you are not the only one. You're not. As God continued to bring these stories our way of other people, I almost got to a point of laughing at God's sense of humor. Like, of course you would do this, God. This is just how you work. That you take something that was so broken inside of me, and when that brokenness is brought to you, you have the unique ability to produce life out of it, something new out of it, something for your purpose and your glory and for the redemption of others out of it. And that's what our story has been becoming. So why share it now? I think... Brad and I would both say that we knew God was calling us to share this soon. We just didn't know when. Well, a few weeks ago, we were in Madison, Wisconsin at a small retreat for pastors, probably about seven couples total. And there was a really beautiful time of prayer when this man and woman came and prayed things over each person that they believed God was speaking to them individually. But when they came to us, they did something a little different. They didn't pray individual prayers for Brad and I. They prayed over us as a couple. They didn't know us, didn't know our story. So very similar setting to this. Probably got a few people with hands on us just to kind of set up the picture. Don't know us. Don't know our story. And I want to share um, because they were praying things over us that only the Holy Spirit could have revealed to them. And so here are some things that we heard in that prayer. The Lord says this. My blessing is upon their marriage. Some couples pretend like they like each other to get along, but you guys are in love with each other, and God sees that in you. To Brad, he said, you've said and done some pretty ridiculous things in your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> but then he turned to me, and he said, what you need to know, daughter, is that this man loves you from the deepest places of himself with everything inside of him. 
There have been times when his words may not have been the most pleasant or the enemy has tried to stand between you, but know this, this marriage has been ordained by God, that this marriage is going to be a sign and a wonder of God's glory and God's goodness. And I know there's a time when you might have said that you could never believe that because of the storms that your marriage has walked through, but your marriage has been uniquely designed by him and protected by him. The, anim- the enemy tried to get between the two of you, but the Lord says, I, separate, I separated his hand from you. There was a very divisive spirit that came against you, and it attempted to bring destruction against the, this house. This is the house he's talking about. But the Lord says, no, I'm building you back up again for the purpose of being that sign and wonder of what it means to be restored in marriage. And then he turned to Brad and he said, whatever happened here, forgive yourself. The Lord has forgiven you. Forgive yourself. I have not called you to minister to the bride of Christ's son without first ministering to the bride in your own home. What I put inside of you is the real thing. It is not a counterfeit. It is the real thing. And God says, this is a season of new life of healing and of restoration, and this is going to be a good chapter. So, blessed, broken, given. We're broken people and needed Jesus, just like all of you. And our deepest desire is that this church would be a refuge for the weary and a hospital for the broken to find that healing in Jesus and Jesus alone. So will you let him produce life out of your brokenness? So we're uh, way over on time. Who cares? Um, I warned the band. Uh, if they want to come back up here, we're going um, to close our time together here um, just with communion. Um, I don't think that there's any more fitting way uh, to bring our brokenness to Jesus than through communion, through the, the remembrance and the celebration that his broken body heals our broken stories. And uh, so here's what I want to do as we, as we close today. Is, um, I want to just ask this question, and if you could just leave this on the screen, Sarah. Where am I broken and in need of healing? Where is your story broken and in need of healing? See, here's what happens at the cross. The brokenness of sin becomes the brokenness of repentance. The brokenness of shame becomes the brokenness of desperation. The brokenness of isolation and alone becomes the brokenness of I've tried everything else, Jesus, and you are the only one, you are the only one who can redeem this broken body and this broken story. So I know there are people here this morning. I know because you tell me these stories all the time that you have brokenness in your story right now. And what I want to do is we're going to have members of our prayer team up here during communion. And if you're here and there is something that is broken in your story, broken in your marriage, broken in your body, spiritually, physically, emotionally broken, I want to invite you as we're taking communion to come up here and be prayed over and prayed with 
with our prayer team. Because there is healing that happens when we bring our broken bodies to Jesus' broken body. And then what I want to invite us to do as well, simultaneously, is to take communion together as a church. And I'm just going to read these words of Jesus once again. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. Broken for you. And for you. For me. And for us. And for every single one of us who is willing to bring our broken stories to the cross. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Let me offer a prayer for us, and then uh, as I'm praying, if the prayer team can make their way up here, and then we'll open the communion. We have stations in the back and the front, and we invite you to partake as we worship. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just, uh, I thank you that you redeem broken stories for your glory. That you're the only one who can your heart and your desire is to bring us back to the garden. To bring us back to the place where we can be fully open and stand without shame solely because of the healing power of Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. This is the gospel, Lord. Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and the healing of our broken stories. So Father, I pray for people here whose stories are broken, stories that feel broken beyond repair, stories that feel uniquely broken, stories where if they wonder if their church ever found out about them, if they would just be ushered out and invited never to return. God, I pray that new life is a place where we are the hands and feet of Jesus, where we don't hide our brokenness, but we actually lay it out because you heal broken stories. Father, I pray our lives actually believe that. I pray we actually believe the words that we sing and the words that are in this book. So Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray.